we're starting from a place of laughing. So I'm sure this is going to be a, an interesting podcast we're about ready to enter into. So, hey, we like we told you before, um, Beyond Sunday, this is coming out of a position of relationships inside of a local church. And so... Uh, we won't probably fill you in on what we were laughing about, but uh, anyways. We're... If you ever want to know if we're ever funny, it's right before we hit the record button. Yeah. That's when, that's then we get serious. I know. That's right. Somber. Mm. Yes. Mm, like every other godly person should be. All right. Well, we are talking the Great Commission. Yes. Which I'm sure everybody has different ways, and maybe even like you brought up Sunday Christian, that there are some people that knew exactly what you were talking about because they've been in the church yeah. long enough to know what that means, or or even somebody, you know, because I mean, there's several people around Cornerstone now that are new followers of Jesus, probably wondering, what is this Great Commission thing to which you speak about? You know, I mean, they were they were trying to figure it out, but I, I think what was, was so cool for me just sitting there listening is such a reminder that you really are entering into a beautiful kind of sacred ground. Yeah. When you begin to open this this one up, so maybe if you could just for a second, it kind of unpack for us, just an idea of like I don't know why I'm, we kind of know why, but man, yeah. let us know again. Like, why is this text so important to who we are as a not only as a local church, but just maybe the church in general? Yeah, I think it's like even in the way that Matthew puts this together as the very conclusion of his book. These are the these are the parting words. This is. What do we what do we do from here? What are we supposed to do with this this story of Jesus's life? Well, it all comes to a head here, where Jesus commissions these men to take the story forward, communicate it to others, and not just tell the story, call others into it to to be these disciples. Um, and I think so. For the last two thousand years, the church really has taken this passage as our marching orders. This the idea of making disciples of all nations through baptizing, teaching. The promise that Jesus will be with us, and but I will say I think oftentimes we start with verse nineteen, the commission to us as followers of Jesus to help others to follow Jesus to make disciples, and sometimes we we scoot too quickly past what really seems to be the really huge declaration in this passage where Jesus says that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and so again if this has been such a shaping foundational kind of the the um the, the marching orders the the mission statement of the church this is a place we should regularly come back this is a place we should regularly reline ourselves up and say okay are we as one local church part of this global church are we focused on this mission of making disciples? Each of us as individual members of this church, are we focused on this? Because if this is what Jesus has left us with, then this is paramount. If Jesus is coming back, you bet your sweet bippy, he's going to come back and say, hey, remember those words I said to you about my authority, about my commission to make disciples, my promise to be with you in it? Is that what you shaped your life around? Hmm. So I think this is essential for all of us, Yeah. That gives us a great segue. So, all right, let's uh, let's dive in, and let's just unpack this this text a little bit because that's what you were able to do. You were giving us an overview so that we can kind of have a few places to hang some hooks as we go through the rest of this series. But uh, that's that's where we'll go next. Okay, so so what that was kind of like no doubt like this is something that we need to visit and revisit and keep coming back to. 
But maybe just for a second, if you can, take us back and set us back in the text, in, in specifically verses 16 through 20. I know you yeah. did all of Matthew 28 there, yeah. but maybe help us get back into Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20 and kind of get the feel of it so we can get a running start into how, what are some of the, maybe some takeaways that we can land into what we do with this particular text. Yeah, I I think well first off starting in verse 16 you, you see the con- the dot I connected was Jesus and the, the angel at the tomb tell these two Marys to go tell the disciples to come meet Jesus in the in Galilee. That's where he would be. And so you have there in verse 16 they go to Galilee. They go to a specific mountain that Jesus directed them to and they like the women at, when who see Jesus in Jerusalem that their first response is to worship him. Mm. And yet there does seem to be this idea of there's this doubt that was part of the equation too, whether it was different groups, there was a worshiping group and a doubting group, or the worshipers and doubters were kind of intermixed and they were feeling these kind of conflicting responses at the same time. I think one of the points I tried to draw out was that the, the presence of doubt doesn't disqualify these people from being enlisted by Jesus in his mission. I think that's really powerful, right? The risen Jesus does not reject people based upon the imperfection of their understanding of who he is and what he's there to do. He he actually gives this amazing declaration and mission to a group of people who, in varying degrees, are just trying to figure out what the heck is going on with this guy that we saw was dead and is now alive again, right? Which I think sometimes we don't allow the human component in there, yeah, yeah. right? We've read it over and over multiple times, and so we're like, how could they doubt? Mm-hmm. But I think, right, you put us back in that situation, and all of us are looking around going... What in the world yeah. just happened, right? It would have been truly mind-bending yeah. at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that there's such grace in that moment of Jesus to say, to just, I'm going to just speak words of truth and power and, and mission into this moment with you and a promise of my presence with you. Like, I think that's... Uh, that to me, I, I, that was one of the things that was most refreshing as as I studied it. And I know later on in this series, you're going to take a whole week to just unpack some of those dynamics. But I tried to tease that out a little bit about just this idea of, um, I don't, I, I, it is so important to me. I've interacted with a number of people at Cornerstone, even some people that, that aren't followers of Jesus now, where one of the, the biggest hindrances to them, perhaps in the church culture that they grew up at, was it was the, the quashing of questions. You don't ask those questions. You don't uh, express those doubts. Um, or maybe the the their parents or something like that were people that didn't ask those same questions. They're going, hey, look, just do it. This is just what we do. And I think that the way that we model the attitude of Jesus here by not like by not rejecting people in the midst of their doubts, but saying, hey, that can be here, but we're not going to just like revel in the uncertainty of what we think we know. We're going to seek to look to Jesus together. Let's let's learn from him together. Um, to, to kind of help us to adjust that gap between what his word says is true and our ability to write. Yeah, I, I, I thought the way you connected the dot of doubt that draws us to, not pushes mm. a, us away from Christ. Yeah. Like I really truly appreciated that because I think sometimes we think doubt pushes us away, but actually it was a doubt that was drawing them to, which again, it seems so contradictory, but it's it's so it's so real when you look at the accounts within the gospels. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's at least the first step is to say, okay, we can, even if you don't have this all figured out, even if there are are deep wrestles that you have, there's a place for you here. There's a place for you to draw near to this Jesus. And, but at the same time, let him speak truth into your doubts. Let, let, let his words have more of a shaping reality in your life than your own 
perception of things, right? So then Jesus comes in the midst of that, and in verse 18, he starts with this declaration. And this is the main thing I focused on this past Sunday, and we'll focus on again this next Sunday. This idea that all authority, all power, all rule now rests in him. It's been given to him by his Father, and it's on the basis of that authority of Jesus that he now unleashes these guys to this mission of disciple-making. Um, I think, again, you there's so much we could look at in terms of the way that authority language is used throughout Matthew. But like the idea, especially that Jesus talks about when he says, look, like the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and, and, and exercise heavy handed authority over them. And that's not going to be the way that it is among you. Like we can't understand Jesus's statement of authority in verse 18 is now this saying now enforce uh, invade, you know, violent opposition. You're going to enforce my rule in a heavy-handed way because the mission that he gives us as one with all authority is this call people into a lifestyle of learning, call people to be these apprentices in this same way of life that I've called you to be my apprentices in for the last three plus years. Um, and so very much we see this idea that we've been hitting on a ton over the past year, that to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is to be engaged in the mission of making disciples of Jesus, that the two go hand in hand. Um, and I think that, that that is the thing that we want to continually come back to as a church and go, okay, cool. how, how do we do that well together? That's, that's what the whole point of this series over the next couple of months is. How, maybe tease this one out maybe just a little bit of going the the declaration of all authority mm -hmm. and the language throughout Matthew of kingdom mm -hmm. language yeah like are those things related do you think yeah i do Okay, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, simple, well, good, simple that, one word answer. I thought, yeah. I thought yeah. the dot that you connected that, in other words, Jesus wasn't given authority because he was raised from the grave. Mm. He already had authority. Yeah. Being raised from the grave was just a means of validating the authority that he already had. Absolutely. Right. Like there's, yeah. it wasn't as if he earned something by, by being. Uh, yeah, it's his authority over death. But yeah, yeah, there was just, he already had authority, but yeah, the ultimate of all enemies whom he defeats death, right. He demonstrates his full authority. He's, yeah. he's validated. And I thought like, especially him preaching the kingdom to your point, mm -hmm. right. All throughout yeah. is that there was a constant validating of the kingdom and of yeah. power and then he brings the ultimate one to bear in the resurrection, which, yeah. anyways, I'll let you tease it out more. But I, I thought that was a, a really great connection for people to see. Yeah, I think the main the main connection we talked about this when we were in First Thessalonians as well, when there's a statement about the kingdom of, of of God there, is that it seems the best way to understand this language of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is less in reference to a realm like an area that the king rules over as it is the rule of the king. It is the, the expressed authority of God uh, in expression, in reality, in the world. And Jesus, by saying, you know, from the beginning that the kingdom of God is at hand with him and saying, I am bringing the good life-giving rule of God to bear upon the world in, um, it will, it is opposed by enemies, whether those are human enemies like the religious leaders or even the, the the power of Rome that didn't think Jesus was even a blip on the radar screen because they didn't understand the nature of his authority, or Satan especially is the one. I mean, here's one of the things. Okay, yeah, okay, maybe this is a fun way to do it because I don't know if we'll be able to work it into my message. The fact that 
early on, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you have Satan tempting Jesus and taking him onto a high mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and saying, all these I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Acknowledge my authority over you is really the temptation, and I will give you all the nations of the world. Now you flip to the end of Matthew. You have Jesus up on a high mountain with his disciples saying, hey, not only did I not bow down to Satan, I have that authority. Now go express the goodness of my authority to all those nations. There, there is a cool um, uh, uh, parallel. parallel between the two of those, of what was offered to Jesus as an idolatrous temptation by the, by the devil at the beginning. Jesus vindicates his claim to anyways and says, this is mine. It has been given to me by my father. Now go make that known. And so I think the expression of the good rule of God, the expression of the life-giving rule of God over and against his enemies to bring renewal to, to all of creation, all of that's tied up in Jesus' declaration there. Is that okay, Spencer? That, that passes and satisfies the curiosity <laughs> okay. for the moment. I just wanted to make sure it was okay. I didn't. We were sitting there pausing, and I didn't know if you were contemplating on the nope. sufficiency of his answer or if you felt it was nope. okay. Satisfies the curiosity for a moment. <clears throat> Thank a goodness. Moment. Yeah, it'll be fine. I mean, this whole idea of authority. This is why we're going to take a whole other week of it. There's, um, again, this is one of those one of those passages that. There's so many dots in the story that connect there's, right here. Well, there's so many dots, and then culturally, I mean, I know we're jumping into yeah. the next section, and maybe that we should kind of put a pin in this one and, and hold on to it. But just going culturally, how we understand authority and what's the highest authority? Is it internal or is yeah. it external? Are authority structures, you know, anyway, it's just I think this is something we have to wrestle with severely in our culture. Yeah, yeah. which you're going to unpack the next Sunday in a mm -hmm. much greater way. Yeah. But I, I think like, you know, when we begin to sit down and talk this through is that most presentations of the Great Commission really do begin with the command. Yeah. Like that's generally where we start with the assumption of make disciples of all nations, which is true, right? We, yeah. yes, that, that is the command, Yeah. but we forget to, to, to anchor it yeah. into the person of Jesus and his true authority. And that's really the highlight of this text, right, is, yeah. is his grand victory over all things. And Let me throw this out there just as a little teaser for what's to come, because I do think that like one of the things that's so pivotal in this statement, especially the way that we see Jesus in Scripture portrayed as the God-man, one who is both true God and true man, because absolutely the idea that God has authority, okay, yeah, that's like who rules over all things, classic Sunday school answer. Yeah. God, God does, Absolutely. But we see again clearly in Genesis 1 that there is an authority, a rule, a dominion that God as creator has invested in humans as his image bearers. Psalm 8 talks about it as well, that God, even though humans were made a little lower than the angels, he crowned them with glory and honor and gave them authority over everything that God had made. And we see how humans so royally botched that up. Our authority, power is so twisted and perverted. And yet here we have one who is both God and man saying all authority belongs to me. Like we're seeing not only the expression of the good rule of God, but now the redemption of the good rule that humanity was meant to share in. In and one person. In one person. And all of that is laid into the sense of saying, okay, now come call the nations to be my disciples, to learn from me how to carry out their human calling in the way that they were intended. And it's mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Even a, a fulfillment of the covenant that 
that was made with David, right? Uh-huh. That forever king. Yes. You know, and going, hey, all it's, it's 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 a restoration of what God intended for humanity. It's a fulfillment of the covenant promise of the forever king. Yeah. It's Jesus embodying that absolute authority as both God and man. Yeah. And man, we struggle with that. But I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if, again, most talks that I've ever heard on the Great Commission rarely have that discussion we just had right there. Mm. It's just, he's king, so therefore just do it. Mm-hmm. Dang it, just do it. And we don't think through the massive implications of what is happening in verse 18. When yeah. he says what he says, it's not just a simple little statement that says, now do what you're told. Now, again, he is king, so he can tell us to do it. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to get away from that. Yeah, That's a dimension of this. But there really is such a beautiful purpose and reason for why we go and make disciples. Well, yes, especially when you anchor it, not just in this event, but you all go all the way back throughout. These these are all the people who walked with Jesus. Mm-hmm. They are just coming off of three years of seeing these things manifest and, and even going, okay, yeah, all of the miraculous works of Jesus, you can argue that all of them are actually just a demonstration of his absolute authority and rule. Totally. Absolutely. They are a demonstration of his kingship over some aspect of the world. Yeah. And so they're seeing it, living it, and then he, he, here's the capstone statement. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a greater context for these guys, which I don't think we catch because we haven't spent the last three years walking with Jesus, watching him do these things, you know? <laughs> right. Absolutely. So. I, I encountered a thought that it was at least was new to me. You know, I've, I've learned in Bible college and so forth. Matthew is the gospel that was written to a Jewish audience. This is Jesus is presented as the Jewish Messiah, right? I came across a thought that I'm just getting into from various different scholars that I've come across that, that really, if you look here as the culmination is Matthew 28, this call to make disciples and the, the function of discipleship and the teaching and ministry of Jesus throughout, that not only was Matthew seeking to give us an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus, but this gospel itself is meant to be a manual of discipleship. For this, the nations. For the nations. This, make disciples of all nations. How do you do it? Well, that's what you just spent the last 28 chapters reading about. Well, not that they were... <laughs> Ordered. There was no chapter numbers on it at that point. You spent just the last scroll. Exactly. Rolling right. the whole, through. <laughs> scrolling through. Hey, we hey, we know how to do that. Right. We're used to scrolling through things. But I just think that's that that to, to it's it it makes me want to go back and beginning to read back through this gospel with that lens of if I read this as a way to follow the master as an apprentice who's seeking to help others be apprentices of Jesus, that's that's exciting. Mm-hmm. This is this is both a description of what Jesus did and a directive to us of the way that we follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Okay, so there's this declaration. Mm-hmm. There's obviously the commission mm-hmm. in which most people, that's what we, we think about in which it's to make disciples and, well, how do we do it? We He, he lives it around with this idea of go and baptize and teach, mm-hmm. right? So those yeah. realities, that's the... But could you maybe like... Because we are going to probably spend a ton of time, a lot of weeks there, and so yeah. I'm not trying to short circuit it. We're going to spend a ton of time there, but maybe bring us to the very end and and the promise. Yeah, like what's so significant about that? Yeah, in verse the end of verse twenty, this promise: "Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And some translations will have it say, I will be with you always, but literally it's, I am with you always. In some ways, it's not so much a promise as it is another declaration. I have all authority. I'm with you always, and sandwiched between those two realities is this call to make disciples, right? So I think in some ways that um, 
that idea of the abiding presence of Jesus. Again, shortly after this, however many days, weeks, or whatever, we, we see, especially like in Acts 1, Jesus' ascension back to the right hand of God. So this is not Jesus, God, man, physically, bodily with us. But we see, especially like in Acts 1, this promise of this spirit, the Holy Spirit who would be sent from God to empower us in this mission of witnessing, of making disciples. God is present with us. He is with us as we seek to be about this. And I think in some ways that just shifts it for me. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on weird Christianese ways of saying things that bother us. But one of the ones that drives me up the wall (laughs) is the phrase, God showed up. Hey, we put on this whole thing. We were doing this big thing. And then God showed up in such a cool way. And it's like... We have never been any place in this world or galaxy or universe that God has not already been for all of us. Well, except that event. That, right? Right? What's that? Except for that event. Which, which, oh yeah, the yeah. one where he showed up. Where he showed right? up. <laughs> right? But I think this is such a good check for me that even the commission to go and make disciples, the, the sending of us, he's not sending us to go any place that he doesn't go with us. And it's not even that he's along for the ride with us. It's that it's we're, we're along for the ride with him. That changes in the way that I interact with neighbors, with people around town, when I'm talking with people who don't know Jesus. It just it changes the frame of reference from I need to bring Jesus into this conversation and to he's already here. I, I am joining Jesus in what he is doing right now in this person's life, in this, in this situation. Jesus, what does it look like to join you well right now? I'm not trying to bring you here. I'm not waiting for you to show up. You are with your people always to the very end of the age. So the culmination when all things are ready to be made new. So I don't need to wait for you to show up. I don't need to wonder if you are going to show up. You're here. You're with me. How do I pay attention to you and seek to join you in what you're doing in this circumstance at this time? Again, whether that's when I go home this evening with my family, um, whether I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm never going to go any place where I'm waiting for God to show up. Yeah. And he, he's, he's been, here with me. He's been doing this now for 2,000 years. Exactly. It's not even just a place standpoint. Yeah. It's a time framework where yeah. even before we came along and somehow thought God showed up. Yeah. It's like, no, I've already been here. Like, I've been a part of this process for a long time. Absolutely. Which is huge. And so there is an interesting way in which there is the I am with you always. And then that always is qualified by to the end or the consummation of this eon or this age. Like there is a, there is a term to this mission that he's given us. The time now is given to the mission among the nations of making disciples, of witnessing to Jesus of, until that time for the end of the age comes. At which point there is, a, there is an even greater way in which Jesus will be with us. And so there is a, a sense of timeliness. We, we, we want to be about the king's business because there is a culmination of this age that is coming. And not only that, we have so much time in the lives that God's given us. Um, let's be faithful to be about the king's business during this age, knowing that he's with us as we do it, you know? All right, so that's that's why I want to transition. That's cool. actually a great place to transition. So, yeah, let's let's kind of land the plane a little bit uh, on that. All right, so one of the points that you brought up, kind of in the middle of all of it, when you're kind of teasing out the idea of a declaration, obviously, yeah, right? Yeah. You had, you're you're dealing with two two declarations, and by the way, thanks for shifting that around for people. Like, you know, 
I think like the idea of a promise is generally over there, but to help people see that both sides of his command, there's a declaration of who he is, yeah. what he's doing in the world. I thought that was great. But you talked about, you, you, you finished with this idea of, of which declaration shapes your life mm-hmm. the most, which I think was a great way to finish, especially on the 4th of July. Um, and I, we haven't gotten any emails yet that from people upset about the way you did it. So that, that's And good. if you want to, my email address <laughs> is tnicewonger at cornerstonesemail.com. <laughs> wow. But maybe let's, maybe just as a group together, let's play that out a little bit. Like, okay, so what is the, what's the significance of what you were saying? If, if, if the declaration of Jesus should be the greatest shaping force on our life, Help us help us unpack that thing a little bit further. I think that, you know, one of the things we've often talked about here is this idea of putting the right lenses on first, like making sure that the like like a lens of interpreting the world around us and life around us. And and we all were kind of multiple lenses. There's there's different frameworks or perspectives that we 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 work through as we seek to understand the world around us. Um, and sometimes the lenses that you put on first, they're, they're what you view everything else through. Um, and we talk a lot about the idea of, of making sure that we put our biblical story lenses on first. We, we view ourselves primarily through the lens of this grand story that scripture tells, especially this grand story of the kingship, the good rule of God expressed through Jesus, put that on first. Um, because there are many other stories, there are many other identities kind of vying for that first place in our lives that will happily take first place in life, will happily be the lens through which we view everything else. And I do think that not just the United States, but any modern kind of nation state, that's that's at the root of it what the state is asking for. It's, it's, it's seeking to be the primary place in which you find your sense of belonging, identity, purpose in the world. You can't read the Declaration of Independence and not see that they were seeking to give a definitive understanding of who God was, the rights that he'd given people, and what they should do with those. They should pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That's that's the defining purpose of humanity is happiness, freedom to do what I want with the life that I have. And I do think that there is a sense of when we put that on first, man, we will we will... We will take the hook out of Jesus's call, on the other hand, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Because we'll say, well, I mean, that's as long as I get to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Because I, I put that one on first. Those are the inalienable rights that Thomas Jefferson said I have. And so if Thomas, Thomas Jefferson said it, it must be true, right? Like there's just a sense in which sometimes we don't stop to question those things. And so I do think that the, there's a sense of saying, let's make sure that if Jesus says he has all authority, that means that his words ought to be most authoritative, um, giving meaning and shaping who we are um, and recognize that that other claims need to be filtered through the claim that Jesus makes to have all authority. So it's really more than a huge critique on our country, the founding of our country. I, I intended it more just to be that sense of, Understand, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, you are saying that you're giving him this first place, which is rightfully his, and you will seek to actively combat the other things that will vie for that in your own heart to, to, to be more shaping than him. Okay, how do we help each other do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is, it is really interesting, especially like you said, 
when so much of what it was to grow up as American, to grow up um, in the places that we did, mm-hmm. where those things did dominate our thinking, how our vision for the world. Because I mean, I just like even as you say that, I agree with everything you're saying, mm-hmm. but there's this instant kind of reflex in who we are as like Americans to go, yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, I mean, to come up with reasons why we would explain away the good lordship of Jesus in embracing, you know, again, it doesn't even have to be the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, it can yeah. be all kinds of a myriad of issues. But, man, this this idea of reshaping life, which I think he he finishes with here, is just huge. Yeah. The, not only the, the seeing it correctly, the doing it, but even, like, I was thinking about it the longing to do it, the, mm. the will, the desire, the, the passion, mm. right, to actually do it. Man, we are battling not only something external, but then we're moving <clears throat> internal. That I don't want oftentimes that lordship in my life. Yeah, and I do think there's a sense in which uh, Jesus's words rightly speak to a, a, a universal longing in our hearts, which is we want to spend our lives, we want to give our lives to something that both fits who we are and is bigger than we are, right? Like we, we want a cause that's bigger than us, but we want something that like fits who who, who we are. Now, we, we will try to finagle and tweak things all different ways to try to find that, right? But I think, again, this is what Jesus is offering us. He says, I, I, as the one with all authority, I have defining rule in your life. And that's actually good news for you because I'm the one who made you. This is who you were meant to be. And this is a cause worth giving your life to. But that is exactly the opposite oftentimes of what we're told as captains of our own ship of, right, lords of our own life. It it really is a it's a counterintuitive reality for us as Americans to say actually someone else has has a better understanding of how we ought to live life, engage in life. It's it it is a it's a I think it's hard for us as Americans. And yeah. even that that concept where, you know, we threw off authority. Mm-hmm. We and we're we got rid of King George. We we made it. We arrived. And in a weird way though, arrived at what? Um, we, we, we still are going to battle. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I just, I appreciated you making that point. I think what, what stuck out to me, um, as I looked at this was, and this is kind of the way I, I finished when I preached on it as well, was just the four all encompassing statements that Jesus makes here, a claim to all authority, a mission to disciple all nations teaching them to keep all, to observe all that Jesus has commanded. We're going to get into all these things in more detail as we go. And the promise to be with us always. How do I, as an individual follower of Jesus, try to do all of that and wrap my head around all of that? And again, that's the point of we're not meant to wrap our head around. We are part of not only a local church family, but a global and historic church family that this really is, I think, the the all nature of what Jesus says here is a call to recognize and appreciate the big family that we're a part of and act act locally well, praying, longing, learning, loving globally in that way. So that way we we become globally minded Christians who seek to to devote ourselves locally to the places that we got and the people that God's placed us around. Yeah. You've been conspicuously silent 
No, just trying to probably limit the conversation. Knowing that we have so much ground to cover over the next few weeks and trying to sell, show self-control <laughs> and not, not overstepping where we're so going to be in a couple you, weeks. Dude. Well, it's just because so there's so much here to you. say, and I'm like, uh, no, nope, I think we're going to talk about that next week or in two weeks. And I'm yeah, like, no, what about? I would say this, the like, as, as we were prepping it, it hits so many spots of life, this text does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In ways that I wasn't maybe planning on, but the more that we're in it, the more I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to hit in places that I didn't expect. Well, I think I think this text, when you start with the statement in the beginning of 19, mm-hmm. right, the, this, the declaration of all authority, and then the command... And then the telling us how to do that and when to do that and whatnot. And then the promise afterwards. It is an, to your point, it is an amazing litmus test Mm -hmm. of like exposing idolatry in my own heart. Yeah. We just dealt with, we dealt with the declaration because it was that time. Yeah. You can move this idolatry out in every facet of life. What are the things where I am wrestling for authority and control and not ceding that to King Mm -hmm. Jesus? Mm I can think of a ton that you guys both struggle with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me least that That was the last podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what, that confrontation. We're, we're kind of done with but, that. Um, yeah, but we're going, over confrontation. But just going, okay, so just the question of authority exposes a ton of idolatry. Yeah. Then you get to the issue of, I mean, we're going to jump into it, but the, the partisan or the command of going, okay, well, what are we supposed to be doing? Making disciples. What do I occupy my time, passions? Do I orient my life around this? Well, no, because I get busy doing work stuff, house stuff, sports stuff, whatever, right? And going, okay, so the activities of life get exposed. Oh, crap. Um, the when I do that, you know, it's like all, every one of these things just start exposing yes. the idolatries. Yeah. It was interesting as I went through all the who, what, when, where, why, hows of this text, it was loaded with you guys is idolatry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can switch it off of me now. No, yeah. it, no, it was just, it was every question I asked was like the the, the beautiful need of, of having hearts and, and minds transformed yeah. so that we might see the goodness of the rule of Jesus, right? That his rule is good and it is worthwhile to join him in it. But man, there are so many just idols in my personal mm-hmm. life that I'm going, wow, with each question I ask there's going to be a new place in which God is going to remind me of still needing his good yoke upon me Yeah, that's easy and light. And so anyways, well, I look forward to it. Thanks guys for hanging out. You're welcome. Appreciate each of you. I really do. I'm actually being sincere right now. And you think I'm being sarcastic. I'm not, I'm being very sincere. Thank you guys. Mm. So, and I thank you for all being with us. Thank you, Todd. We love you too, man. Thank you. I was actually learning that. Okay, good. Now we go. (laughs) Uh, But thanks for being with us for Beyond Sunday and hanging out with us. And uh, yeah, just I look forward to, to being with every one of you guys again. So take care. Bye.